Welcome to the very first episode of The Grove Podcast. My name is Gerald Malloy, and I'm here today with our senior pastor, Clint Presley. Yes, sir. Gerald, glad to be here. Pastor, it's really, really good to have you on Thank the you, show sir. today. Yeah. Thank you. This is going to be a lot of fun and a lot of unknown. Right. I'm excited for both of it. Yes, sir. Me too. So, um, the whole purpose of our show is for people to get to know you and oh. get to kind for of the hear. whole show? The purpose of the whole show? The whole show. Or just today? The whole show. Go ahead. Mainly today. All right. So, um, let's just jump right in. Give us uh, just a quick history on you, where you're from, where you've been, what are you doing now? Okay. Uh, I'm from Charlotte, native Charlottean, grew up here. My mom and dad both grew up here in Charlotte. We're way back uh, in this part of the world, Union County, Anson County, North Carolina, to about 1720 or so. I got all of my folks are buried around here, pretty close by. And yeah, been in Charlotte all my life. Then went to high school here in Mint Hill, Independence High School. Played football there. Went off to Walford College, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Played football there. Then went to Southwestern. Uh, there at seminaries where I met Connie. Okay. Best thing I got out of Texas was Connie. Mm-hmm. So I met Connie at mm-hmm. Southwestern. She was finishing her MDiv. I was starting mine. And uh, pretty soon after we met, I pursued her enough uh, that convinced her to every single day. I mean, in other words, if you were to do that today, young men, don't do this anymore. But if you were doing that today, it'd be called You'd be stalking. You'd be in trouble. Right. That's right. But then it wasn't. Right, right. I was just pursuing mm-hmm. uh, with great enthusiasm. Did you like sing songs to her? No, no. Write her sing. poems? Nope. Stuff like that? I had a sweet haircut, though. You had a pretty sweet haircut now. No, it was a flat top then. <laughs> First seven years of marriage, I had a flat top. Hopefully at this point, a picture of you in that flat top has popped up on the Don't screen somehow. Don't put it somehow. up, because that one you guys, <laughs> I got glasses on, it doesn't look too good. That one doesn't look good. Anyway, so we met, got married, and she graduated South, Southwestern with MDiv. Okay. And we moved to Mississippi, where I started pastoring church. Uh, I was 23, just got married, and pastored this small church in Mississippi, and there for seven years, lived in southwest Mississippi. And that's where, in two churches, two different churches, uh, I actually learned how to do ministry. Now, what's that like going from a place like Charlotte to a place like... A culture shock for me. Really? I'm raised in Charlotte, uh, in suburbs, you know, to move way out into rural Mississippi to a place where it's nothing but farmland and farmers uh, is a different way of life, different way of doing church. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had to learn a lot. How, how was it different as far as church, like church people that's there? Uh, the people, I mean, people have the same problems everywhere. Sure. Uh, so it really would be a microcosm of any other church. But uh, being the pastor of a small church, you did. I did everything. I mean, cut the lights on, cut the heat on, fill up the baptistry. Uh, I have stood with a woman as she died, go and dig the grave, come and preach the funeral, and cover her up. I was a you full service. You had the shovel. Oh yeah, putting the shovel hand. in the ground. No, I promise. No, I promise. I did. Yep. Good night. Now I wasn't every time. Sure, but but that time uh, I've done that several times. You learn how to do stuff because you're there's nothing nobody there to do it for you. So people here in Charlotte, they ask you to lunch. People down there ask you to mm, dig a grave, right, or whatever. I've driven dump trucks, uh, hauled silage. Uh, help slaughter. Wait, how what? Silage. Uh, what is that? Cut, cut the corn, cut it all up, 
uh, put it in a dump truck, carry it to a silage pit, and that's what the cows will eat. Hmm. I didn't know that either. Mm. Okay. I'm learning. <clears throat> learning. Yeah. Anyway, so we spent that time there, and uh, seven years of marriage. We didn't have children, and we adopted two boys. Both my sons are adopted. Mm-hmm. They're biological brothers. And uh, after we adopted the, the boys, we ended up coming to Hickory Grove. Okay. Uh, I had joined Hickory Grove when I was in high school. I knew the people there. I interned there uh, in college. And we came to Hickory Grove uh, to be on staff. And so I served on staff there for about five years. What was your role then? I started as a singles pastor. Oh, I bet you were phenomenal. I was terrible. <laughs> and everybody knew I was terrible. And so about, I don't know, two months into my tenure, I just went to the pastor at the time and said, look, I know I'm bad at this. You'll give me a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. I, I'll be gone. I'll find another church and we'll mm. move. Yeah. Because okay. I was just terrible. And they said, no, don't overreact. Uh, gave me some other responsibilities. I started teaching and preaching on Wednesday nights and uh, then took on Sunday night preaching. At the time yeah. we had service, Sunday night service. And then we started an 8 o'clock service that we're still doing today. Now, the Mallard Creek campus wasn't here at that time, right? Mallard Creek did not exist okay. at the time. Okay. Uh, you know what? That's not true. I'm sorry. I came in 99. It had been here four or oh, five okay. years. Okay. Been here four years when I came. But you didn't you didn't preach no, up here. No, they at all. they uh, at the time there wasn't that sort of going back and forth okay. for anybody except the preaching pastor. Okay, so I was exclusively for Harris Campus at the time. Okay, and so we were there five years doing that. Loved it. Thought one day I would be the pastor of Hickory Grove, that I would stay on and do that, and eventually become the pastor. Uh, but the Lord and His grace and kindness, which felt like severity at the time. <laughs> called us to uh, a church in Mobile, Alabama, okay. Dolphin Way Baptist Church. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, so we went there. The church had gone through a difficult time, but the Lord provided, and the church regained health and strength and grew. And so then we thought, well, we'll be at Dolphin Way. Mm-hmm. We loved it there. Yeah. And we loved Mobile. We loved the church. Really had a great time there. And uh, thought we'd be there. And after being there six years, through a series of events, I was contacted by the pastor at the time uh, and started a conversation about a transition plan, about uh, him transitioning out of being the senior pastor, mm-hmm. me becoming the senior pastor. And I really sense I had a debt to Hickory Grove, uh, a real sense of obligation to this church. I loved the church. And... Uh, so considered it an honor to get to come. We came back in 2010. We came back, and then in January of 2011, I became the pastor. Okay. So I've been here since January of 2010, but the pastor since January of 2011. So I got here at I got here in August of '09. So I'm I'm a little more senior. You are, and there was some question whether or not I was going to keep you. You didn't, have, you didn't have to say that. You, no one needs to I'm know that. I'm just kidding. No, no, was, no we were I'm friends kidding. immediately. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, we yeah. were. So, okay, now let's let's go back. There's a couple things you mentioned. You mentioned football. You mentioned football in high school. You played at Independence High School. Yeah. That's, that's big-time football around here, right? Uh, See, this is – I don't understand this. What? You played football. Right. You played football at in high school, which is a big deal, and then you yeah. played at the next level. I mean – 1AA. Walford to 1AA. 
one double A at Wofford, but you don't care anything about football now, do you? I mean, I care about it. I just want to have to sit and watch it. I, I mean, I don't. Do you think you could still suit up right now and play? No. In, at, at the college level? I don't think so. Really? Those guys are animals now. Yeah, but I mean, they're strong and fast. All the lifting and stuff you do, yeah, you don't think? I don't think it's the same. Yeah, Plus, I hadn't been hit like that in 25, how old am I? 30 years. Mm, maybe, maybe a little more? No, no, 30 is right. 30? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, because you, you do a lot of weightlifting still. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. let's talk about that. About what? You weightlifting. About three days a week, go out in the backyard and lift weights. A whole lot of weights. No. I mean, don't no, be. It's 45 I mean, to 50 minutes, three days a week. I mean, people think. No, I'm not talking about the time. I'm talking about the oh. amount of weight. Oh, yeah, it certainly doesn't seem right. <laughs> That's the truth. You are you are a very strong right. man. Thank you. So. Be right. <laughs> It's not adding up. No, Something, right. something's not working out right. So, okay. Now, there's something else I wanted to ask you about. So, being in Charlotte, you probably get uh, someone will call you up. Hey, Pastor, let's go eat lunch and talk about such and such and such and such. Mississippi. Mississippi. No, you said it right. Mississippi. Yeah, you know, Mississippi. Connie cuts a syllable out. I mean. And everybody I, there cuts a syllable out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you did it right. So, in Mississippi, when someone will call you up, what – what kind of stuff did you do? Yeah, now I need to hear some uh, stories. We did all they kinds want to hear of things. some stories. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah. It wasn't normally to go into town and have lunch. Right, right. We might would have lunch, mm-hmm. but it would be at their house. Mm-hmm. Oh, I might be called to help with uh, shipping some cattle, or I might be called to help with making uh, turning a a bull into a steer, which what? I would prefer not to. I don't want to. Okay. It's best. Okay. <laughs> let's let's talk about okay, now I think I might have heard a story about you helping a gentleman uh trying to wrangle a yeah, some yeah, sort now of you, animal. You're gonna mess that story up. Okay, then you tell it. <clears throat> yeah, so the community I lived in, my second church, uh they had beef cows. The first one was uh Wait, aren't all cows beef? No, a lot of milk cows. Milk cows like a oh. pet. So you get to know and they come in, you're seeing them twice a day. But it still has beef on it though. It does, but that ain't what you got that cow for. <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> so beef cattle, they have them shipped in as uh, as yearlings. Okay. Which is, you know, first year. And you get them, you weigh them, you keep them for a certain amount of time, and during that amount of time, you try to fatten that, that cow up. Okay. And then you weigh them when it's done, and whatever kind of weight they've gained, you get paid for that. Okay. So it's important to get them on the scale, to come into your farm and on scale on the way out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so a lot of times I would be called to uh, help them as a uh, getting ready to ship the cows out. And the way you do that is you first you wrangle them into the yard, and then from the yard you get them into a chute that narrows down to a chute that's probably seven feet wide. Okay. And with fences that go up about six feet. Okay. So the the thing is you you have to call out six or seven and run them down the chute onto the scale, shut the gate on the scale, and they get weight. Mm-hmm. Now, my job was always to run the cattle through the chute uh, because it didn't take any skill. And I didn't have any skill. And so while you're doing that, a lot of the old men from the community are up on the fences watching. And one particular day we were shipping cows, and um, I was running cows down the chute, and one of them turned on me. And I'm still, you know, felt like I was still in pretty good shape. 
And I uh, thought, well, I'm going to stand this one up. A cow. <clears throat> a yearling, yeah. Uh, so he turned, came at me, and I went to do like an open field tackle. And, Gerald, I have never in my life been hit so hard. So hard. Ran over me, and I had all kind of mud <laughs> and cow deposits all over me. It rolled me over, and I finally got up right in front of all these older men. Who've been there and done that, I'm sure. sitting on the <laughs> fence, and one of them said, Preacher, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. And you're the toughest preacher I ever met. So, yeah. It was that kind of stuff all the time. Oh, goodness. I loved it. I mean, I loved it. That is awesome. There. It was fun. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Now, <clears throat> yeah, that, that's a great story. I'm sure you have a ton of stories. All, all kinds of things like that's, that. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Now, you also you also like cars, too, now, right? I do like cars, yeah. Yeah. What, what was I like your... cars, trucks, Jeeps. Yeah. I like them all. You've had, uh, let's see, since I've known you, you've had... Uh, well, you've had a pretty cool Jeep. I guess one or two maybe cool Since Jeeps. Since you've I've had six Jeeps. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they all look the same. They don't. Maybe they're all. No, you, you drove a Matrix. You drove a toaster. Everything looked the same. My Matrix had great gas mileage. So let's talk about your first car. What was the first car you ever had? You remember? I know, I know it was years ago. Uh, my first car was a 1966 Dodge Coronet that I bought from my grandma. A Coronet? Coronet. There's no need me talking to you about that. You I mean, it won't make any difference to you. What was your favorite car you ever had? My favorite car uh, is probably the one I have now. Yeah? The Mustang? My favorite car, period, not mm-hmm. that I haven't had yet, mm-hmm. is a 1965 or 6 Pontiac DTS. Mm. So one day when I get everybody off the payroll, mm-hmm. I can do it. I'm going to buy one. GTO. Yep, four-speed, 389, three two-barrel carburetors. It's a beautiful car. Carburetor. Oh, Probably better know. to have no. fuel injection, like at this For point. For you, that's right. For me, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, okay. All right, well, let's, 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 talk about, <clears throat> let's talk about how things have changed at Hickory Grove um, since your, well, obviously since your first time here, just a whole lot of time has passed from the first time till now. But let's talk about even some of the changes that happened Right when you became senior pastor, yeah, at Hickory Grove. Okay. Well, church, uh, our church has always been a great church. Hickory Grove has been. Uh, I benefited from the church. I was discipled here as a student. Uh, when I came back, uh, the world was changing and picking up velocity as it changed. And one of the things that needed to change was how we approached church. Um, moving in broad broad strokes, you talk about attractional or missional. That's sort of those words have kind of lost their meaning. But that was sort of our our approach was to how do we move our church, which was strong attractionally in the 80s and 90s, to being thoroughly uh, missional or theologically uh, robust mm-hmm. or driven by those kind of things. So as I came, I wanted to see that happen. I feel like that would be the best for long-term health so that the church would not be dependent on a personality or people but would be dependent mostly on uh, the centrality of the gospel, the scriptures, and solid approach to doing mission. Okay. Now, there's a lot of churches out there that are completely filling up pews because of the personality yeah. of the pastor. Yeah. <clears throat> and that does present some issues, obviously. But now, when, when, 
when you first got here, we were doing five services. And, and I remember you saying in a staff meeting that you felt the need for all five of those services to hear you, hear yeah. your heart and your vision for the church, and and um, and kind of all be on the same page. So you decided to preach all five services, which was, well, it was crazy. I did decide to do that, but what happened was uh, that the pastor at the time, when he uh, retired, we also had a preaching pastor at the Mallard Creek campus. Mm-hmm. He was called to another church at almost the exact same time. Mm-hmm. I remember. So I had three preachers, me and those two guys, five services. Most of the time I had it covered. When those two left, that left left us with one preacher and five services. Right. And each service was its own little mini church. That's right. Because nobody was preaching the same thing. Right. So for church unity and direction, for our church to get a sense of where we're going and who we are, and who we aspire to be, that's why uh, we did that. So for five years, uh, we did five services, and I would preach all of them every Sunday morning. What did that look like? It, uh, like, walk me through a Sunday morning for you. <clears throat> Sunday morning, you get up around, <clears throat> little, around 4 o'clock, so from 4 to 6, finish out, praying over, going through the sermon, show up at uh, the, the Harris campus around 6.30 or 7, be there to pray with the guys, and then 7.30 down, uh, at the church sanctuary, ready for the 8 o'clock service. And I would preach the 8 o'clock service. I would get in the pulpit at 10 after 8, preach 30 minutes. Once that's over, go immediately to a car that's waiting and go to uh, the Mallet Creek campus and get there in time to preach 30 minutes. So as soon as I got there, I would preach. And then when that's over, I would drive back to Harris campus, Harris campus get there in time, preach. That was over. Come back to Mallard, I mean, preach for thirty minutes and then, then finish it out one mm-hmm. more time, at uh, Harris campus. So you'd crash pretty hard that afternoon. Well, it's funny. I wouldn't go home and take a nap. I'd just go home and sit, mm-hmm. sit and stare. Yeah, I didn't want to read. My eyes hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'd put on something on the television that was meaningless, and I just would sit there. That was. Um, I, I remember those days of having our technical staff would speak to us in our earpieces yeah. and say, hey, pastors, at this point or this point, this point. Five years we did that, and surprisingly, we never, you were never late, never nope. missed a beat. We we always had a preacher that could step up yeah. just in case, but we've never had to call on them. I had a wreck one time. Do you know that? I, I don't know. Yeah. Tell me the story. My dad was driving because uh, he was one of the drivers, mm-hmm. and he pulled out and hit a guy. It's his fault. And But evidently that guy had something crooked going on because he was like, uh, hey, I don't need the police to come. <laughs> so Dad said, well, I mean, it's my fault. This guy's like, can I just go? Dad said, sure. We, ne- we didn't miss a, a light cycle. Of course, it was $4,000 worth of damage oh, in Dad's car. Oh, my goodness. But we still made it on time. That guy had a dead body in the back of his Song. trunk. Yep. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> That's incredible. So now we're three campuses. I'm sorry, three services. Um, what, is that, what does that look like now? Well, we, we had the five for options. That was part of the attractional mindset. Mm-hmm. If you want people to come, you you have to have as many options as possible. And it really was um, not a healthy way to do church because I just didn't never get to see anybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the kind of preacher that can provide leadership with nothing but preaching. I need personally interaction. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to structure it so that I could at each campus spend an adequate amount of time beforehand mm-hmm. 
seeing people, someone, something I want me to pray for, or something's going on in their life, to interact with our leaders, to pray with the deacons. Uh, we structured the services. Now I can do that at each spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're here at the Mallard Creek campus 40 minutes or so 40 before minutes the service. Before service. You're yeah. able to shake hands and yeah, yeah, spend yeah. some time with people. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Now, you, you, have a, you have a style of preaching, um, expository preaching. Yeah. What, what exactly is that? We, we've heard it before, but maybe there's someone who doesn't know Yeah, exactly there are a lot of definitions. Just basically, expository preaching is basically taking the Bible and, if you want to use the word itself, ex- exposing <laughs> your people to the Bible so that the sermon, from the very structure to the content, to the number of points, to the topic, all of that comes from the Bible itself. Okay. And then you make sure that people understand the context that it's written in, then the context of the New Testament, and then the greater context of the whole Bible, so that there's great continuity, all of it pointing to the goodness of God given to us in Jesus. So you, you'll take a passage, you'll stay in a passage for some time. Yeah. M- maybe stay in a book for yeah, some time. We're, we're in Romans now. We'll go two years Romans. There are some great preachers that will spend more time. You kind of got to know what what you can do and get mm-hmm. away with. Right, right. And so Romans probably would, you should spend more time there. I just am not that great of an expositor to stay that long in there. Now we've done, Romans isn't the first book since you've been here. We right. did like a year of the Bible. Yeah, our church was not accustomed. So when I got here, our church was not accustomed right. to long-term exposition through books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So I knew that. I wanted to get them there. And so we started with the year of the Bible, took the whole year, and went through and preached through almost all the books of the Bible. And then the second year I was here, uh, we took the book of John, which would be the easiest, in my opinion, to preach through expositionally. And that year we spent in John. And then what I was trying to do is get the church accustomed to less scripture for longer. So I went right to Ephesians after that. Okay. Which I wish I had taken Ephesians and and maybe doing it now instead of so quickly into my tenure. Okay. But after Ephesians, then we did Genesis and as the first time we've gone two years. So oh, Genesis right. okay. we went two years. Mm-hmm. Then we went two years in Acts. And uh now we'll be two years in Romans. Mm. Okay. Now why why do you feel like expository preaching is so important? Well, a couple of things. One, you, you, uh, your people get accustomed to knowing that, uh, that the Bible is the authority and not a preacher, so that if it's not me up there preaching, it's someone else, and they're going to do the same thing. Open the Bible, talk about what does the Bible say. So that here at Hickory Grove, uh, there is one authority. That authority is the Bible, and we all stand up under it. So that every sermon is really, really a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And then, then your people become accustomed to hearing that, and then for themselves, they can go home and read the Bible. Mm-hmm. They find out they're not dependent on somebody. They can hear from God himself who speaks to us clearly through the Word. Mm-hmm. Now, what's, what's really interesting to me is how two people could read one passage and be extremely far off from each other. Mm-hmm. Like, like, for instance, you know, when, when I hear someone preach on David and Goliath, all of a sudden— they're telling me that I could be David and I could go out and slay giants and do all these kind of things. What? How is that different from something we would teach? Something you would teach at Hickory Grove? Well, I want to be careful there. I, you know, you, you're kind of slipped over into to application, mm-hmm. uh, sort of seeing yourself in the story, and that's fine in some ways. You want to to learn moral lessons from the 
uh, narratives of the Bible, uh, that's that's fine. But you want to make sure that the story you, you don't get hung up putting yourself there in the hero's position, and mm. and uh, and then really miss how does that. So if you do that, how does that then point us to Christ? It doesn't. It points mm. to you and your latent ability to, with God's help, beat a giant. Mm-hmm. So two different people. We live in a fallen world. People have their own opinions. They come to the text with their own notions, their mm-hmm. life experiences. Right. That's why there can be so many differences in application mm-hmm. and interpretation. Now, also with with some of the some of the things about um, different different preachers, they'll get up and they'll read a passage or whatever and feel as though they, they need to kind of add add to it, maybe with some sort of gimmick. Maybe with uh, like I've a seen. Gimmick. I hate this stuff. Gimmicks? You don't you don't like gimmicks? Nobody I mean, likes gimmicks. I mean, I've seen people. Nobody likes gimmicks except the guy doing the gimmick. Well, that that may be true. But I've seen guys it's like, like dancing, dancing. You know, like let's, let's talk about dancers and church. Let's, Somebody let's, likes that except except the dancers. They like doing it. You don't like now nah. okay. in church. I mean, it's fine if you want to go to the theater or wherever they do dancing. Theater, theater's good. Okay. Theater's good. Um, what about you? Know, you know, I've I've seen a guy ride in on on a oh, Harley before. Gosh. Yeah. You, so you if you do the if you do those kind of theatrics, it becomes more impressive and more memorable than the Bible. Ooh. Okay. Right. So, yeah. so even let's say you use a great illustration mm-hmm. that moves people to tears. You can be careful with great illustrations because now you've overrun the impact of the Bible. So, what people walk away is they remember the story of how your dog came home after it was lost, and not the truth of the Bible. Well, okay. So now there's a there's a a difference between attractional and missional. You had mentioned it a little while ago. What uh, is it? Is it bad to be attractive? No, and you know, churches like ours, you go to make some correction. Sometimes you overcompensate. We probably have done some of that mm-hmm. when you're trying to correct something and you go too far on one side. I think you can get that thing back in the middle of the road where you have some sort of robust theological approach, strong worship, and missionally driven. Uh, that is, you should, you want to attract people to that. Right. So I, I'm okay with with attracting people to that. Our hope is to see. People that are not Christians come in, hear the gospel, and be saved. Mm-hmm. So there's all kind of issues facing the church today, facing adults and facing all kinds of um, people are just facing all kinds of hardships and stuff like that. So I decided to Google um, a couple things that I'd like for you to speak speak to. Um, so I Googled cultural issues facing the church today, and one of the first ones that came up on every list was online is the new default. Default to what? On, Staying in bed? Online church is the new default. No such thing as an online church. Well, talk about that a little bit. What do you mean? I just talked about it. Well, expound. So if you're online, <laughs> uh, you're by yourself, you're missing community, you're missing the gathering, you have no accountability, you haven't made any effort, you've not been part of uh, corporate worship, you've excluded yourself. Mm-hmm. You now have made church for you instead of allowing yourself to be changed for the church. Mm-hmm. It has become centrally about you. Now, our services are online. Right. We'll we'll keep doing that. I think it's a good ministry for people that are providentially hindered mm-hmm. or are sick or if they're out of town, hopefully they go to church somewhere, then they can stay up with a series they were going through, can watch it at some point. Uh, that's why we will do it. Mm-hmm. But you won't hear me in a service talk to people that are at home watching as if they're part of the congregation. Right, right. 
Right. That is a wrong way to do that. You know, it's I, not helpful. I remember one time we had a, you and I were having a conversation on Twitter, uh-huh. <clears throat> and we were talking about something very specific, and someone jumped in on the conversation completely outside. I, I don't even know how they got in on the conversation, but someone jumped in on it, and. Uh, were accusing us of kind of not being on the same team with whatever. And this person lived in California, but said that they were members of a church here in Charlotte. How crazy is that? Yeah, I think that's the danger. Uh, It's just dangerous. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just not careful thinking. There are people that I respect and and love that do this sort of thing. I just don't think it's helpful uh, long-term for someone to grow in Christ. It's really not a strong ecclesiology. I just, people need to be with the body of mm-hmm. believers. All right, the next thing was expressive individualism. So I had to kind of look up exactly what that meant. Yeah. <clears throat> it's where one person pursues their own path. Um, it kind of stems from this identity issue where it's the whole uh, you be you, you do you, um, be be true to yourself. Yeah. How, how unhealthy is that? Well, I think it's uh, really you just further the conversation of of online church. Okay, uh, it would be the endpoint of individualism, and what happens is uh, you it, it individualism at its core is a self centered, mm-hmm. right? You I mean you need to have self respect and self confidence in the Lord, but part of of the corporate gathering, coming to church and be a part of the body of Christ and in a small group or a large group, is you yielding something that you really like, you yield it for the greater good of being part of the body of believers. Mm -hmm. So, and that's something we fight against, honestly. And too much individualism within a church itself, you just get divisive. Mm -hmm. What about... um this last one, I'll, I'll just give you one more. Uh, is Christianity old-fashioned and outdated? Well, it's certainly not outdated. Uh, and I'm not sure what the category old-fashioned, what you would mean by that. And you know, like something from the 50s when you say old-fashioned? Well, you know, like now, nowadays, you know, you get people in different communities in our society and our culture now who um, talk about, oh, well, that just seems like, such a long time ago that that people actually did those kinds of things, yeah. did uh, biblical things. Yeah. Why why would we talk about that? Like for instance, people would say, "Oh, well, God is love, so um, love the culture now, or love how things are now because things have kind of evolved into something different." Yeah, I think that. Uh, so, is Christianity old fashioned? Well, with the devolution of the culture, so it's on this continuous kind of spiral, picking up speed as it goes down. There is a sense in which the values that come from the Bible, uh, they do seem like incredibly outdated. Mm-hmm. And if all you have is this sort of moral construct, yeah, it can, it, I mean, certainly it can seem like that. What's underneath that, though? What is the the, the thriving message of the Bible is that that God is holy and and people are desperately sinners mm-hmm. and are separated from God, and the whole Bible is pointing those two poles out and the need for Christ. Well, the whole Bible is about Jesus. So in that regard, it certainly is not outdated. Mm-hmm. You, it doesn't take much to see then how many people need the gospel, right? just the uh, desperation in people's lives. And so now some of our methods might be 
some of the approaches to ministry, how we reach people, that those will continually need to be changed. But mm-hmm. we, we have to stay on, on point of the holiness of God, sinfulness of man, the need for Christ, and then having the Word of God show us how then, how do we live that Christian life. Mm-hmm. That's where it's not outdated or, or irrelevant. It's tremendously relevant. It's just difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, <clears throat> so um, some time ago I read an article and it talked about um, how back around like when 9-11 happened back in 2001, uh, whenever there was any sort of major um, – problem or something that happened within our culture or whatever, people would flock to the church. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, you don't see that as much. Even if there's a, a significant crisis um, that's happening um, in our country, people don't seem to flock to churches anymore. What? Wh- why Why do you think that's the case now? Yeah, I think the, the, the Christian impulse is fading. I think uh, one of the downsides of cultural Christianity going away mm-hmm. is the having the sort of the guardrails come off on a society in a lot of ways. There's not societal pressure on anything from the gender issues to marital issues to sexuality and then to how we respond to crisis. Mm-hmm. So those those guard guardrails are are starting to fade more and more. So there's not in the collective conscience of take the United States any real Christian impulse. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel like um, people who experience that, if they were to step foot in, in Hickory Grove, in any one of our services, how do you feel as though those people would connect in a very real way to um, to God, to Christ, and to a body of believers? Yeah. Well, that's part of our approach when it comes to worship is the worship service is not built for uh, the unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Our worship service is constructed for from start to finish, and uh, that whole we start off with the with the Bible. Uh, our songs are filled with theology. Our prayers are of of repentance and thanksgiving. Uh, the sermon is from the Bible, so people are confronted with the Word of God, mm-hmm. uh, with the expectations of who God is, and hopefully, though, it's filled with grace. So you 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 hear. The holiness of God, the wrath of God over sin, but that's not all you hear. Mm-hmm. You hear the good grace of God given to us in Jesus, and if you're in the worship service itself, you are surrounded by people who have experienced that grace. So that the evangelism is a doxological; it's it's from worship, from being in the worship service. You get the sense I am not like them, mm-hmm. and we trust then. God's providence that the Holy Spirit will open their eyes to see, and they might be saved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's good, Pastor. Um, well, it, listen, it's been awesome to have you on the show today. I got a couple, couple more quick things okay. that we'll uh, we'll talk through. I know you're. <laughs> what just happened? There's a couple quick things we'll talk right. through. Um, what What do you like to do on the weekends when when you have some free time, some downtime? What do you What do you enjoy doing? Uh, I like to read. No, I mean, like, not work-related. That's what I like to do. I mean, like, for fun. Like when? I read. I don't know. You just Me read? Me and do things. Yeah? I like to drive my truck. I what? watch the work around the house, yeah. yard work, watch the car. I don't know, Gerald. I don't have very many good things. I do. You you chop wood a lot, right? I do. That's, yeah. That's but then little... I burn it. I mean, I, 
I'm splitting it so I can put it in the yeah. fireplace. That's kind of weird, huh? Weird. I mean, you can go People to. We've been doing that in America for 500 years. Right, but they also invented stuff since then, to where you just go to the store and buy it. I'm not gonna do that. Bring it, to, bring so it back to the house. The man's gonna buy firewood. Or you can burn trash or something, right? <laughs> uh, uh, what about um, what's your favorite book? I don't know, man. I feel yeah. like my favorite book is whatever I'm actually reading at the okay. time. Okay. Uh, I'm reading one right now on George Marshall, World War II. Uh, it's great. Uh, before that, I read a book, uh, The Warmth of Other Suns, is the migration of African Americans from the South into the North and West from 1915 to 1975 or so. It was a great book. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we leave, how yep. about you give your people. Who are you pointing at? Right, I'm pointing at the camera, the people that are watching. <clears throat> the camera, I can't see because of that light. That's the camera right there. Okay. Uh, give them a, a book. That would uh, be beneficial in their life. Something you've read yeah, or are currently uh, reading. I'm using one right now for discipleship uh, with some people called "The Pursuit of Holiness." It's an old book, mm-hmm. Christian classic, Jerry Bridges, and it's I don't know, 16 chapters. It's great, easy to read, but uh, and very um, very practical and right out of the Bible. And we have that book, yeah, in our resource centers. Oh yeah, yeah, up at uh, Mallow Creek and at Harris. So, Pastor, thank you so much. This has been a great episode. It's been a lot of fun uh, getting to know you and hear your heart on some of these issues that are facing the church and facing our culture. And um, so thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We'll see you next time. Thanks.